It is written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the desert, Prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight paths for Him. And so John came, baptizing in the desert region and preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean uh, countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to Him. Confessing their sins, they were baptized by Him in the Jordan River. John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist and he ate locusts and wild honey. And this was his message. After me will come one more powerful than I. The songs of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie or to stoop down and untie. I will baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. At that time Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. As Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my Son, with whom, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. At once the Spirit sent him out into the desert. And he was in the desert forty days being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals and angels attended him. So there's... Uh, you know, we might call this whole section here just uh, uh, the intro, the preparation, the, call it preparing the way here. This is kind of the, the stage is set before Jesus goes public, before He ever does His first act in public ministry. These are some things that kind of prepare the way. We're just going to briefly look at a, a couple things. There's so much, we could probably spend the whole time just in this one section. Um, but we're going to have to breeze over some of it just for the sake of time. But one of the things you can pick up here, in um, just in this passage alone, um, the deity of Christ, Christ being one and the same with God, is referred to about four times just in this intro here. It talks about Jesus, uh, you know, in the beginning, Jesus Christ, the Son of God. It talks about the Isaiah, Isaiah the prophet says, someone's going to be preparing the way for the Lord. John the Baptist says, this is the one. This is the one we are expecting. He's coming and um, he identifies Jesus as that one. And then later on in the section here, we see God the Father saying from heaven, this is my Son. Four times he's referred to as God in the flesh, the Son of God. Um, and that's just something, something to take note of there. There hopefully is no question about that. Mark did not have a question about that. Some other things that you see... Um, you also see here in the baptism scene of Jesus, that at one point you see a reference to the Trinity all in one passage here. It says, um, Jesus was coming up out of the water. There's the Son of God. He's, heaven is being torn open and the Spirit is descending on Him like a dove. There's the Son. There's the Spirit. And then the Father says, You are my Son, my love. With you I am well pleased. You know, sometimes the Bible in and of itself doesn't say the Trinity. Here's the Trinity. There's the Trinity. You just see reference to the Spirit as God and Jesus as God and the Father as God and they are one and so there's a kind of a reference to the Trinity right there in that um, what else do we have one of the things I do want to draw our attention to here is that Jesus was baptized 
You know, John was telling people at the time, hey, look, you need to get baptized to show that you're turning away from your sins and that you're going to be ready when the Messiah hits the ground. You'll be ready for him because you've shown this sign of turning away from sins. And, and Jesus got baptized. And, and Jesus, when he got baptized, it was a symbolic thing. It was not, a, boy, he was turning away from his sins. You know, by 30 years of age, he'd really messed it up. Uh, Jesus was in some way identifying with us, with humanity, with mankind who had sin, who needed to turn their ways. And he was identifying from the beginning that he would take on our sins um, for us. And baptism was a, a sign of things that were to come, of his death being buried and of his resurrection. And But one of the things we do want to just draw here is that if you claim to be a follower of Jesus Christ, um, one thing I've got to ask you is, have you been baptized yet? Have you been baptized as a follower of Jesus Christ? Now, if you're like me, I know when I was growing up, uh, uh, my parents had really good intentions for my life. And at the age of, who knows what, one month, two months, they baptized me, uh, uh, you know, related to their good intentions for my life. And that was a, a great thing for them to do. We call that baby dedications around here, where parents say, hey, I want to raise my kids in the way of the Lord here. But what I'm talking about is, have you ever, on your own, your own volition, your own belief, said, I'm choosing to get baptized as a follower of Jesus Christ? You know, because if it was a, as an infant or a child, I'll guarantee you probably weren't saying that. You probably didn't know how to talk or what you believed or anything yet. But, um, but I want to ask everyone in this room, have you been baptized? Really, there's two great reasons for every person to get baptized here that claims to follow Jesus Christ. One is because Jesus did. And two is because Jesus said you should if you're his follower. Oops, I pushed the wrong button there. There we go. Jesus said this at one point to his disciples. He said, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them. Go and make disciples, he said. He said, go make them. And one of the things you do to make a disciple is baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, I encourage you. Have you been baptized? If not, let, let me know. Let one of uh, the pastors know here. We'd love to do our next round of baptisms here. It's, uh, it's great to keep those going. It's neat to see the work. Every time someone gets baptized, there's usually a story of something that's going on in their life here. And I know there's some people that uh, have come to believe in Jesus Christ since the last time we did baptisms. And there's a great example to follow here if you really are a follower of Jesus Christ. It's a great place to start. So those are just some, some things uh, in that first section here. I do want to look at one verse in particular uh, of this intro here. And it's this one. At once the Spirit sent him out into the desert. And he was in the desert 40 days being tempted by Satan. Um, well, I want to take some time here just to, to talk about this. Maybe just to ask the question... In the last 40 days or in this phase of your life, how many of you, you don't have to raise your hand, but you might want to, how many of you have experienced any trials lately? Anyone? Any testing? Any uh, hardships? No one? Just me. Okay, that's another. It looks like a number, a number of people. You know, my wife and I, sometimes it felt like, you know, we, we haven't been in sync with a lot of people's lives around us, but we go... We're going through some testing and some trials and some hardship. And um, occasionally we look up and we go, hey, you are too? Well, all right, join the club. We're not alone, you know. Um, but, um, you know, I think uh, this, we see Jesus here before he even goes public, before he does his first thing publicly, he's let alone privately to be tested. And, uh, 
You know, the devil's tempting him and testing him and putting him through some hardships. If you put the parallel passages together here in the Gospels, Juan says, Luke says, along those 40 days he was also going without food. He was fasting. The other one says uh, that, that the angels ministered to him at the end of the 40 days. Sometimes you, you can get a look and he goes, oh, well, you know, he had a rough day and the angels came and cheered him up. And, um, you know, at the end of the 40 days, it seems like when the angels came to, to cheer him up, you know, however that worked. But, um, but I, I do think, um, I know myself, my, my wife and I feel like we've gone through a lot of trials. In some ways, uh, when we went into this uh, buying, selling our house and buying a house, we knew there was kind of going to be an order to the whole thing here. The church was considering that several years ago, hey, should we get this warehouse? And then we started engaging with that and we started walking through that. And we knew at the same time we felt like God was leading us to pray about, hey, do you need to extend your territory because, you know, the kids are getting taller and you're adding kids to the family and all of this. And we felt like God was leading us to, to consider either remodeling or moving. But we knew, let's do the church thing first. And so... Uh, a long, you know, a year or so later, the church was done. We've had a grand opening. God has been blessing, and we started realizing, you know, um, our housing might come from the back burner to the front burner in our lives, and, and we felt like God was leading us in a process. And in some ways, I, I felt like it was similar to the process of of the church. Or when God led us into this, we knew that God wanted us to take on this project, and we knew there'd be a lot of work, and we knew there'd be some money. But over the course of time, a lot of work translated into a lot of work. You know, there were some things that I think going into it, had we known, um, I, I wonder if we would have gone into it, you know. If, if Jeremy, if Jess and Jeremy had known what leading the painting team would have entailed, I think they would, <laughs> I think they would have left town, you know, <laughs> and come back when the grand opening happens or something. But there was a lot of things, but we were just taking one step at a time following what we felt like Jesus was calling us into. And by the time it was done, we looked back on that and go, wow, you know, it's a good thing we were taking one step at a time or um, we might not have ever started. But we feel the same way as a family. You know, we felt like God has led us into things one step at a time and now looking back on it all, we go, wow, whose idea was this? You know, um, but, but anyways, there's been a lot of trials and tests. But here's a, I want to share this. I want to share this with my wife this week as I was reading about these trials. It's from uh, William McDonald. But if you're going through testing and trials and hardships, this might be an encouragement to you as well. Um, and it says this, it just says, Testings are inevitable for the believer. The closer one follows the Lord, the more intense they will be. Satan does not waste his gunpowder on nominal Christians, but he opens his big guns on those who are winning territory in the spiritual warfare. You know, if you're going through trials and hardships, be encouraged a little bit that, that Satan has thought it's worth his effort to to interfere with your life, you know. If if you're being nominal and just kind of this lukewarm Christian doing whatever and you don't show up on the devil's radar screen, I'd be a little bit worried about that. But if you do show up in his sight and he's trying to bring you down, it's probably because you're doing something in the kingdom of God that he would like to stop. And he will send trials and tests and hardship your way. Um, but I just want to encourage you, be encouraged if you're feeling trials and testing going on. Um, a couple things here on this, I just want to give us some, maybe three things that, I think three reasons we can go through testing. Now these are not the only reasons, these are just three that I thought God brought to mind as I was praying about this and looking at the passage there. But one of the reasons we can go through testing is that you go through testing to prove your character. 
You know, um, Jesus went through this testing and he went through testing. The devil tried to come from different angles. I think he tried to tempt him with making bread for himself when he was hungry, you know, using his powers for selfish gain. He tried to tempt him with authority and he showed him all the kingdoms of the world that somehow the devil has dominion over. And he said, hey, look, I'll give you this authority. And he, he tried to test him also to get him to test his father to, you know, jump off the edge and see the angels come rescue him. And um, Jesus passed all the tests. And you know, this testing, it was not for Jesus to know, hey, I guess I am perfect. I am the Son of God. I think it was more for us to know that Jesus Christ cannot sin. The one we follow, he, he does not give in to sin. He never did. He never will. And that's an awesome thing to know. Because if, you know, if he had messed up along the way and you go, oh, Jesus was a little bit selfish or he was a... You know, what sort of hope does that give us? It could be a little discouraging. We get to heaven, well, I guess there's going to be a little sin there because, you know, Jesus messes up too, you know. Um, but that's not the case at all. Jesus was proved to be absolutely and thoroughly perfect, completely perfect. And sometimes, uh, you know, I think about this idea of like if you're ever looking at a diamond. Um, any of you ever looked at a diamond before to kind of see the cuts and the brilliance and things like that? And, you know, what do they put a diamond up against? A white sheet of paper, right? And no, what do they set it up against? They set it up against a dark piece of, piece of cloth, dark velvet sometimes. And why is that? Because in the contrast of the dark, you can see the brilliance of what's in the diamond there. And I think a lot of times... God sets us in the, in the context of dark settings to see, to see our character, to let us see our character. And we see, you know what, hey, there's, there's something sparkling there. There's something going on and you don't really see it when, when it's white as the background and everything's nice and shiny, but you see it against the darkness. And, and in this we saw Jesus' perfect character and he was proved to be God's perfect servant, the Son of God here. Another thing that uh, testing our character does is it... Sometimes it not only proves our character, but it can disprove our character. Sometimes we think we are more than we are. Sometimes we get proud, we get puffed up, and we think, yeah, I, I know what's going on. I've got some fruit in my life. I've got some wisdom, insight, knowledge. I, I went to Bible school, whatever it is. Um, but we can face a time of testing, and you know what? We can find out we are not all that we thought we were. And we can not pass the test of character can prove that we aren't where we think we are. Uh, I think of the example of Ananias and Sapphira here where they were, they were showing people, yeah, you know, we're, we're generous here, we're giving our money, we're selling a field, we're giving money, and they're, they're putting on a show. But, you know, they were lying, and, and they lied to the Holy Spirit, and they were struck dead on the spot, and they were, their character was disproven, you might say. Um, we've got to watch out for that. If you think you're something... Be careful. The scriptures are very clear. Corinthians says when you think you're something, watch out um, or you might fall. But another thing that uh, these testings are for is, is to prove our character or disprove our character, but it's also to improve our character. When you take a test, um, you know, some, some tests are pass and fail. You know, uh, you've had those before. You, you either get it done or you don't. Um, and if you don't, a lot of times you get to retake it, hopefully. Um, but, but sometimes you look at a test and it goes, here's, here's what you got right, here's your score, and really it lets you know, well, this is the area you need to prove on. You need to grow in this. You need to um, you know, study that more or do something. But I think the same is true in our lives. If you've gone through testing recently, trials, hardships, um, I encourage you to take a moment to stop and examine what is it that you might need to improve on. You know, a couple verses here. James 1 just says to uh, consider it joy. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you face trials of many kinds. Like, if you've been facing trials here, you know, just 
just cheer up, just smile and say, yeehaw, you know, and that's what, but no, he doesn't say that. He doesn't say like disconnect from reality. Yeah, trials are really fun, you know. Um, he says, he goes on to say, why can you cheer up? Because it produces perseverance, it's producing maturity, it's bringing you um, into completion. You can cheer up because God's improving your character if you're going through trials here. Uh, Hebrews says, hey look, if you got hardship going on, one way to look at hardship is Endure it as discipline, because your father wants to make you like him, like his son. And if you got hardship, try to figure out how is this going to make me more like his son. You know, um, so maybe the trials you've been through. How how was your patience through those trials? Did you have really good patience in those trials? How about your perseverance? You just came through. You know, I know this can be over. Eventually, I can tough it out. How about your, you know, your attitudes? Did you have real Christ-like attitudes facing trials? You know, I, know, I look at my wife and I as we've gone through a lot of trials, and I go, there's some areas I go, yes, that was good. That was better than I thought it would turn out. Other areas I go, wow, we got a lot of work to do there. we got uh, some improvement on, on some of these characters in, in my own life and in our marriage and our parenting and things like that. But, um, but I just want to encourage you, if you're being tested, take time to stop, think about it. And think about what God's trying to grow and how He might try to improve you in your life here. And then don't just kind of try to grit your teeth and bear it. Um, Try to figure out what God's doing in it all there. And uh, I think one of the encouraging things I like about this is that His trials were 40 days, you know. And so if I count 40 days from when we first packed up our suitcases and headed on our trials and our travels, um, 40 days was like uh, yesterday. So I'm like, yes, I think if there's anything to this, uh, you know, I'm not putting those numbers where they don't belong, but I do feel a sense of today we're moving into our house and it's been quite a journey and boy, I hope the angels are ministering to us today and if you help us move, I do consider you like angels here. So, um, But anyways, uh, so let's read this next section here and... You know, I think we're just going to read from verse uh, 14 to 20. And I think that might be what we cover today here. So, okay, let's keep trucking here. Mark chapter 1, verse 14. This is the calling of the first disciples. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom is near. Repent and believe the good news. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. At once they left their nets and followed him. When he had gone a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and their brother John in a boat preparing their nets. Without delay he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. I'm just going to take a second to look at at this here. Really, the well, let's see here. Actually, we've got a verse. Before, oh, it's the first verse here. We'll look at um, of this section here. And so Jesus is going public. He went from uh, his baptism to going out to the desert and being tested alone. To now he hits the scene. He's going public. He's, he's, his public ministry, at least in in Mark's account, is getting underway. Um, and the first thing I want to look at here is just this verse here. It says, you know, John was in prison and Jesus went to Galilee. What's the first thing that Mark recorded Jesus as doing? What's the very first thing? I'll give you a hint, it's this word here with the little laser on it. Um, he started proclaiming, he started preaching the gospel. The first thing he does when he hits the scene is saying, hey, the time is near, the time, the prophetic time that we've been waiting for is here. 
and the kingdom is near. It's as near as the king is standing next to you. And it's time to repent, to turn away from your sins and to believe the good news. And so um, the first thing Jesus did was to preach the gospel. And if we are going to be following Jesus, you know, we talked last week about being servants. He was the, the perfect servant. We're going to see a lot of the things that this servant, the servant of God did in the book of Mark. The first thing he did was get out and proclaim the good news of the gospel. Um, and it's just interesting. That's the first thing Mark records. The other guys record different facets of, of what Jesus did in Matthew and Luke and John. But Mark says, here's, here's the first thing that I want to tell you about. Now, what's the last thing recorded? The last thing that Jesus tells his disciples to do in the gospel of Mark? Preach the gospel. He gave them the command. He said, hey, now I'm leaving. I'm headed to heaven. Um, and he says, go into all the world and preach the good news to all creation. He told that to his followers. So he starts with that uh, serving God by taking this message out. And he ends by saying, hey, anyone who's following him, he said, now it's your turn to go take this message out. Um, what do you think God is going to have for you and I if we're following him? Do you think he's going to want us to do this? You know, I think sometimes when it comes to serving, when it comes to things, we can go, I'd love to serve. I'd love to serve in the band, or I love worshiping God, or I love doing all sorts of things. But to me, um, in my experience, and uh, you know, maybe you would feel the same way in my observation, one of the hardest things to do in the Christian life is to serve God by engaging others in love and courage about Jesus Christ. It's one of the hardest things. And yet it's the first thing we see Jesus going public talking about the good news related to himself and his kingdom. It's the last thing he leaves his disciples with. And sometimes it's the hardest thing for us to do. We go, I want to be a servant. I want to do... How are you doing as a proclaimer? How are you doing with the good news? Um, because it's going to be on... It's, it's on God's heart, obviously. We see that real clearly here. Um, anyways, that's the last one we have here. Last thing, just a little note here is that... Um, Jesus says, repent and believe the good news. Uh, I like, uh, I think I've got the Living Bible here, how he puts it like this. Um, he said, um, at last the time has come, he announced. God's kingdom is near. Turn from your sins and act on, the glory, on this glorious news. One point I just want to make here is that sometimes when it comes to believing, we see some promises out there that say, if you believe, you'll get eternal life, and uh, whoever believes will get this. And it's kind of this generic, hey, if you decide to do that, here's what you get. But Jesus seemed a little bit more forthright with people. He said, here's the deal. Turn away from your sins and believe this good news. He didn't suggest it. He didn't say, hey, here's something to think about. Boy, you seem really intelligent. You should just contemplate this. And if you contemplate it enough, you'll probably make it to heaven. Jesus said, here's the deal. You need to turn around. You need to do an about face. And you need to believe that Jesus, that Jesus is really the Savior, that he came to take the sins of the world upon him. And it's not just a suggestion. You know, I think that sometimes we can get a little bit like, oh, well, I'm glad you're at least thinking about it. That's so nice. Eventually, Jesus is going to call every person to account and say, you know, I said, I told you to, to change your ways. I told you to believe this. Um, some of you might know the verse, Second Thessalonians 1, 8, 9. It says, He will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. This message is meant to be obeyed. And we need to make sure that uh, as messengers, we're putting decisions before people. We're, we're not just kind of hemming and hawing around it and going, well, you know, I gave them a little uh, vague snapshot of the gospel here. God wants people to take action and believe this, and it's not just a suggestion. And we just got to keep that in mind as, we, as we're going about our, 
are serving the Lord here. And, and if you're kind of trying to decide, well, you know, I just don't know if I can, I don't know if I should, uh, Jesus thinks you should. And someday you're going to come before Him, and if you're going to tell Him why you didn't, that's going to be a, a dreadful conversation, I believe, and it will haunt you for eternity. And our hope is that each one of you would come to believe and get on with serving the Lord Jesus Christ here. Um, join us in the rescue mission we have as a church. But anyways, let's see here. We're going to shift to this last section here. And this is Jesus um, calling His disciples. And let's look at this verse here. We've got, And Jesus said to them, Follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. You know, it goes on to talk about, then he came up to the second set of brothers here, and they left their father and the boat and the, the other employees there, and they followed Jesus. And so, a couple of things we want to make. The first one is just, again, Jesus called them into his work. He called them into his work. They were fishing. They were commercial fishermen. They were doing their job. They were getting fish to, uh, as a way to provide for their lives, their livelihood, their family. Um, they were just, this was their work. And Jesus said, hey, look, follow me, and I'm going to teach you how to do my work. And his work was fishing for the souls of men and women. And again, you know, first thing he does is he's preaching the gospel. The first time he calls somebody, he says, let me show you how to catch the hearts and souls of men and women, because that's what it's all about. You know, that's his mission. And so he called them into his work. And it's just something to think about. Here's, here's another one here. They left their nets to follow Jesus. Um, um, I just want to let you know, some of you already know this. If you're going to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, you are going to have to leave things behind. It's inevitable. You know, if, if Jesus came alongside and said, Hey, you're on a good track, I'll follow you. This is great. You know, uh, then, then He probably wouldn't call you out of anything. But if you're going to follow Jesus Christ, if you're really going to get serious about following Him, you are going to have to leave things behind. I guarantee it. Um, you see the example here. Of, of Peter and Andrew, they left behind their their um, their nets. They left their boats. In some way, you know, I'm sure uh, to own nets as a commercial fisher, fisherman is some sort of capital gain, some sort of asset that you had, and they walked from it. They walked from their tools. They walked from what they'd invested on in their business. They walked from it because Jesus said to. These other guys, I think, and that's, you know, walking from a career, walking from different things. These other guys, James and John, they walk from, they walk from their dad. Jesus said, hey, look, I know you've got a family business. You're working with your dad. You probably love your family. And it's time for you to leave them behind because I've got something else for you. And if you're really serious about following Jesus, you, you can't do both. You know, Jesus could have said, hey, guys, I'll catch up with you later. Stay here. Don't follow me. I'll go do my thing. I'll come back and I'll touch base with you and see how it went doing your own thing. And I said, you want to follow me? Let's go. And that's a really challenging thing. And you can't do both. And sometimes we think we can hold on to our past relationships. We can hold on to different careers that would keep us from following Christ. And I don't think you can do both. And, um, and I want you to think about it. Some of you, now some of you know this. I look around this room and I just, uh, I could go person after person. And I go, you know, Tara, when she first started following Christ, she left a guy behind. And she knew she had to get serious about following Christ, and that guy was not in the plans. Some of you have left cities behind. Some of you have left jobs behind where you go, I cannot follow Christ and do this job. Some of you have left one of the top cities in the United States behind, Fort Collins. A lot of nice microbreweries and great uh, brewery tours, free tours, and to move to downtown Denver, where the price of things is, I still look back at Fort Collins, but I go, 
the house that my wife and I were renting before we left was more than three times the size of our first apartment down here in Denver and, and it was the same price. And uh, that, was, that was a little shocking. But if you're going to follow Jesus, you're probably going to have to leave some things behind. Now, now and some of you, I encourage you, maybe you're trying to make that choice. Maybe you know what you have to wrestle with. Maybe you know different things in your life here. I encourage you to think about it and go, you can't do both. You ought to make that decision sooner or later. I'm going with Jesus. I'm cutting my ties with Jesus and I'm going to stick with this other way of life I've been living. Now, some of you have made those choices. And, and maybe you've been following Jesus for, you know, 5, 10, 15 years. Um, it's possible you're going to have to make some choices to leave some things behind. I think as we follow Christ, we can pick up luggage in our lives and we can pick up habits and things that maybe, maybe we left behind before we've taken them up again. Or maybe we've developed new things that Jesus says. You know, to follow me today means you're going to have to get rid of that. And I look at my own life, I see it was a progression of different things God called me to leave behind. When I first was becoming a Christian, which um, my birthday is this week here, I turn uh, 16 years old. So my spiritual birthday, right? Um, but anyways, I remember about the time I became a Christian, one of the things that had led me to become a Christian was I, uh, I got this broken heart. I had this girl that I kind of placed on a pedestal. I thought she was the one. She called things off. It crushed my world. And through a whole series of different things, I started going, you know, why am I here? Am I going to heaven? And I, am I really as good a person as I thought? Because she didn't think so. Um, you know, and all these different things. But uh, eventually I, I became a Christian and I started following Christ. I put my trust in Him. And and, and I turned to him as my Lord, my new leader, my master. But right about the time that happened, there was a chance to reconcile with this, this ex-girlfriend. There was a chance to kind of invest and try to win that relationship over again. And we started down that road and I just got this sense, you know what? This relationship is not God-centered. It is self-centered. And I need to make a choice if I want to have a God-centered life or a self-centered one. And I knew I had to leave her behind. And I felt like to follow Christ meant... Uh, that was not going to be my world anymore. And to follow Christ meant my roommates that, that I partied with. A lot of us worked at Hewlett Packard where all these single guys with good salaries who went out and wasted our money in the bars. And um, I knew that following Jesus meant Friday nights when they headed to the bar, I was going to have to head to small group. You know, I was heading to our, I don't know why the church in Fort Collins picked Friday night for a Bible study, but it probably changed my life. You know, it brought things to the forefront real quick. Because, you know, if you, on Wednesday night here, you can do Wednesday night and you can still get out Friday and Saturday and do follow the world, you know. But Friday night, you got to make a choice there. And, and I made a choice to, to go to that Bible study. And eventually, you know, um, my pastors asked me to pray about leaving my job at Hewlett Packard, a great engineering job. I was uh, on the rise and a lot of potential there. And they, they asked me to pray about, hey, we'd like you to consider leaving your job to do full-time what you've been doing on the side. We know you spend your nights in the dorms, you know, hanging with guys and reaching out. And uh, we'd like you to take what you've been doing and, and expand that to another, you know, 40, 50, 60 hours a week. And so I did. To follow Jesus meant I left a, a great job behind to follow Him. Now, you know, each one of us, I think... Um, Jesus calls us at different times from different things, but that is how he called me along the way here. And, but again, if you've been following him for a while, um, maybe we'll do a quick show of hands here. How many of you have been following Christ for five years or more? How many of you for ten years or more? How many of you for fifteen years? How many of you for twenty years? Twenty-five? Thirty? Thirty-five? Forty? How about a hundred years? <laughs> okay. 
Some of you have made choices along the way to leave things behind. And, but I do think as you, as you follow Christ, you can, you can gain things. We were out in the San Diego recently here. We walked out in, near Oceanside, California. We walked out on this pier. And as we were walking out, I think it was one of the longest piers in, the, in the North, North America, I think. You can correct me if I'm wrong. Um, but anyways, as we were walking out there, one of the things we were looking over the edge, I was trying to keep my, uh, my three-year-old Judah from jumping. He was very excited about the water and all that. And we thought he'd be a little scared because we were so high up, but he was like ready to go. And um, but looking down there, you could see on the, these posts that they had that kind of supported the piers, you could see stuff growing on them. You know, and I'm not a marine biologist, but maybe Amy Olson, you got some biology under your belt, right? Um, you know, I think there are these things that are called barnacles or something, but there are these funky looking little, you know, I don't know if they're uh, plants or animals or what, but they're just growing. And you could tell some of them had been cleaned and they didn't have many on them. And others had maybe accumulated them for years. And there's this green, mossy, little clammy looking things there. And, you know, we can be like that in the Christian life. And over time, you can, we can get things that weigh us down, barnacles that grow on our lives as followers of Christ. And I do want to ask everyone this morning, maybe you're making choices for the first time to leave things behind. But I also ask you to maybe get still and ask Jesus, Jesus, is there anything you want me to leave behind today? Is there anything I've gotten into you want me to get rid of? Is there any habit, any lifestyle, any career, any relationship that you would like me to leave behind for the sake of following you? And I ask that you would seek God about that and and respond accordingly. You you probably already know what it is. You probably already know. And um, I think all of us to continue to follow Jesus are going to have to leave things behind as we go. What do you need to leave behind today? The last thing we're just going to close on this this thing here is um, we need to remember, you know, to follow. In some ways, I think about following Jesus, and I go, wouldn't it have been awesome to be like one of the first twelve? You know, he's like, hey, you follow me, and you go, okay, I'm following Jesus. You know, following Jesus was very tangible, very real. It's like either you were standing right next to him or you weren't. You either followed him or you didn't. You know, and uh, it it seems like it'd be pretty straightforward. But can you imagine today? You know, there's different counts on how many Christians are here. If Jesus was walking around. Today, you know, some have estimated, depending on what a true Christian is, it's up to two billion Christians on the planet. Um, you know, and say there's a margin of error, give or take a couple hundred million. That's a lot of people. You know, imagine almost two billion people following Jesus around. That would be a mess. You know, we'd do some serious damage to like everywhere he went. Um, you would not have a very close relationship with him. You'd be like, "Hey, Rob, do you see him?" He's like, "No, I think he's on the other continent over there." Um, but it would be really hard to follow Jesus that way. Um, but uh, but it'd also be a little bit. Sometimes I think we could go. It's easier. It'd be easier if Jesus said, "Hey, Rich, let's go." I go, okay, I'm going. But what if Jesus shows up Monday in your office, in your cubicle, and he says, hey, hey, you, come follow me. Would it be that easy, really? Wouldn't you say, but, but I'm working on a project. Uh, i got my paycheck coming up here. Can I get my paycheck before I go? I've got kids at home. Come on, Jesus. Would it really be that much easier if he was walking around today? I don't think so. I think there would still be some real heart issues. But the way he has designed it to follow Jesus today is to be led by his spirit. You know, He says, follow me. It's a, it's a very personal thing. He could have said, hey, look, disciples, here's the deal. I'm going to die and I'm going to leave you these manuscripts. Take these manuscripts wherever you go. Live by the manuscripts. But what does he say? He says, come, follow me. He didn't just die and leave us a book. He, he died, he rose again, and he gave us his spirit. And to follow Jesus today is to be led by His Spirit. And how's that going? 
How are you doing in following the Spirit of Jesus Christ? Do you, do you hear His voice when you're in the Word, when you're in prayer? Do you, do you seek to hear His voice through godly counsel? Or do you see it in, in circumstances at all? But today, if you're going to be following Jesus, you've got to be in tune with His Spirit. That's what it is to follow Him today. Are you Spirit-led? Or are you doing your own thing? Or are you, are you book-led? I live by the principles of this book, and you know, anytime I come to a situation, I decide, well, that gets a little bit hard, because some people, Jesus said, leave your job. Other places, I think guys in Thessalonica, that they, they were told, hey, get a job. You know, you're sitting around doing nothing. People are paying for you. Go get a job. Um, so what do you do in that situation? What's the principle that prevails? Well, it's a personal relationship of following Jesus through His Holy Spirit. And we need to make sure we're a church full of people that are hearing His voice, living by His Word. You will never hear His Spirit call you to do something that contradicts His Holy Scriptures. Because if you think that's the case, you're wrong. Um, but we can live by principles without following a person. I mean, in some ways we could be Mormons, you know. We're living by a set of principles and lacking the Holy Spirit of God as we go about it. You know, we, we want to watch out for that. We want to be a church full of people that are following Him. The last thing is, um, I love the response of these disciples here. They were called to do something, and, and how long did it take them to do it? I mean, when did they do it? Immediately. You know this word immediately? Depending on the translation you're reading, the, the New American Standard, the ESV, some of them, it's about 40 times in the Gospel of Mark that he, something is done immediately. Jesus casts out a demon, it happens immediately. Jesus calls a disciple, it happens immediately. Things happen immediately. And I, the question is to you and I. When Jesus asks you to do something, is it done immediately? Or do we kind of rationalize and kind of justify and we take our time and we've got to get other things done first? Because if you're going to follow Jesus Christ, if you're going to be a slave, He expects things to be done immediately. That's, that's His standard. And that's the standard that He passes on to us. I think, of this, I think it's Psalm 119 that has the verse that says, I will hasten and not delay to obey your commands. If there's something God wants you to do, maybe it's time to get baptized. How long do you think God wants you to wait to get baptized? Really long time, probably, right? You've got to figure it out, do a word study. Do I would suggest that if you're a believer who hasn't been baptized yet and you want to follow Jesus, I would suggest you get baptized immediately, if not sooner. We can figure out how to get you signed up. If, if you just can't wait, we'll, we'll do it sooner than that. You know, um, But we're going to be following and things got to be happening immediately here. And so we're just going to close right here. You know, it starts into this next section here where Jesus starts to do some of his miracles, some of the things that show what he has authority over. Um, and we're going to carry that into chapter 2 next week here. But let's go ahead and pray and carry on with this day. Lord Jesus, we do um, we do just thank you for um, for Mark and what he's recorded of your life. We thank you that that you didn't just live then and die, and, and we're just living by a book only. That you you give every person who believes in you, everyone who invites you into their heart as Lord and Savior, you give them your Spirit, your very Spirit, so that they can follow you closely. And God, I just pray you'd make us a church full of men and women who are spirit-led, men and women who are um, following you, that are hearing your voice and leaving things behind. Um, and God, I just pray that, the, that you would help us today. I know there's some decisions that need to be made immediately. God, I ask that you would help people rule in your favor, to follow you, to let go of the other things. And I, I just thank you. Um, 
Thank you for your example to us. God, I thank you for the example of the first disciples who obeyed your call immediately. Even though you know, I think Peter was married and he left his, uh, his job behind. And God, we just ask that we could still have, have that heart to follow you, whatever it means today. We just pray in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Amen. All right. Thank you guys for coming, and we will catch you next week. And if you're available at 2 o'clock, I'd love to see you right back here in the garage um, to help us move stuff. I don't feel obligated, but have a great day, and we'll talk to you later.